I want to talk about something that happens 385,000 times per day. Yeah, that's a lot. 267 times per minute and four and a half times every second. Right there, four and a half, four and a half, four and a half, every second. What, I, what I'm talking about is a baby being born. Every day on planet Earth, we get 385,000 of them. Every minute on planet Earth, there's 267. And every second, there's four and a half. I know the math doesn't work. There isn't such a thing as half a baby. But each of these babies come into the world. And each of these babies, all around the world, are given a name. Adam and Eve named their children and so on, all throughout history, little children, when they're born, are named. If the baby is born in Kenya, in a Swahili-speaking uh, family, normally what would happen is the grandparents would name the baby on the day the child is born. And then several months later, the parents would add a second name. I think that's sort of like a safety mechanism in case the grandparents choose a lousy name, maybe. In, in India, uh, parents, as they look at the baby, as the babies arrive, then they look at the sky that night, and they look at the constellations, and based on the arrangement of the stars, they determine the child's name. In Bali, Indonesia, there are certain names, certain categories of names that are only given to firstborn children, and secondborn children, and thirdborn children, as if you didn't just need their personality to be able to determine that they were firstborn, right? Because we all know already. In Ghana, uh, when, when babies are born, they're, they're given a name, but then they're also given another name based off the day of the week that they're born. So you might have a, a Ghanaian friend named Kojo. That's because he was born on Monday. Or everyone has a friend named Kwame. It's such a great Ghanaian name. The name Kwame just simply means that that, that that young man was born on a Saturday. And in Iceland and Germany, they've actually started... Uh, government ministries to license and approve names. There's been too many like random Hollywood movie star baby names that the government has said, this is ridiculous. You can't name your baby unless we approve of it. And so there is actually in, in many European cultures, there is sort of a, there is a government office that approves the naming of a child. You could have your child's name rejected uh, by, uh, by the government. Well, 2,000 years ago, there was a baby born, just like the 385,000 that are born today. And this baby was given a name. And as we've been celebrating Christmas together, we've been looking at the names that have been given to Jesus at Christmas time. And we've, we've come to understand that the, the names of Jesus help us understand the meaning of Christmas. That if you want to know the meaning of Christmas, it, it's not a certain feeling. It's not just about giving. It's not just about family. If you want to know the true meaning of Christmas, you need to know the names of Jesus. So last week we looked at a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, the four names given to Jesus at that prophecy. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 1 and the names that are given to Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place 
in this way. The birth of Jesus Christ, that's the first name of Christmas. You can't understand Christmas until you understand Christ-miss. What, what, what is Christ? And what is miss? What, what does Christmas actually mean? We, we, we can't figure out what Christmas means until we understand what Christ means. We'll get into what Christ means, but, but mass, that comes from... Um, sort of a, a, a combination of Latin and Greek words for bread. If you ever get offered matzah bread, never turn down matzah bread. It's so good, right? Mas, matzah. It, it's bread. When Christians, for, for centuries, when Christians gather together for worship, they break bread together. They take a cup and remember the blood of Jesus, and they take bread and they remember the body of Jesus. Christ mass is a worship service, to, to celebrate the coming of Jesus, to celebrate that he's coming in the flesh, which is symbolized in the bread that is there. December 25th, that was a date that was uh, selected about, at about 300 A.D., it was, uh, for, for centuries, it was called the Feast of Nativity, which is the feast of the birth when Jesus was born. And then in the Middle Ages, about, about uh, 1000 A.D., they started calling it Christ Mass. It was a worship service where we celebrated the Christ. But what does Christ actually mean? If you're taking notes today, jot this down. His name is Christ which means anointed one because he came to rule. Christ is the anointed one because he came to rule. The Canadian government is divided into three branches. Do you remember this from civics class? You have the executive branch, that's the prime minister. You have the legislative branch, that's the, those are the MPs that we elect to office. And then you have the judicial branch, the Supreme Court. And they all interact with one another, hold one another in tension, and hold one another accountable. There, were three, there are three branches of, of government in our you know, parliamentary democracy here in Canada. The nation of Israel also had sort of a balance of power, had branches of authority or rulership. There was the king, the monarch, the sons of David, and they were the ones who were to rule. They were kind of like the executive branch. Then you also had the priests. They were kind of like the, the judicial branch. They were the ones who understood the law and the sacrifices, and they were the ones who were brought in to rule on difficult cases. And then there was the, the prophets. And the prophets, whenever the kings would get off track or whenever the priests would stop following God's law, God would raise up a prophet. It was like a third branch of government. Here's the thing, though. In the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, kings are called Christ. Prophets are called Christ. And priests are called Christ. Because Christ is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And Messiah and Christ means anointed one, which means to have oil poured on you. Whenever God was raising up a new prophet, God would have someone pour oil on his head as a symbol of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Whenever a new king was to take over from his father or grandfather, he was anointed with oil. And when a priest was being set apart to serve in the temple or the tabernacle, he had oil poured on him as part of the ceremony. Other, 
other leaders who ruled in Israel were called Christ. They were called Messiah. They were called anointed ones. But as you read the Old Testament, you see that these Christs fell far short of what they were called to do. I mean, David and Solomon seemed to have it going on, but it was kind of all downhill from there, wasn't it, in terms of the kings? They were disasters. They were immoral. They were selfish. They didn't lead the people in righteousness. And the priests were no different. They had sort of this form of, of, of reverence and pomp and circumstances, but, but pomp and circumstance, but their, their hearts were far from God. Even some of the prophets were just liars who were just, who were just saying what the other rulers wanted to say. And so all of these Christs, all of these anointed ones, all of these messiahs failed miserably. And so God started speaking through the prophets, the anointed prophets, the prophets who are Christs, and saying, you know what? The prophets have failed, the priests have failed, the kings have failed. All the Christs have failed, but there is one who is going to be the Christ. Not just a Christ, the Christ. There is going to be one ultimate anointed one, and he is going to rule. He is going to rule over not just God's people, but over the whole world. This is what the angel announced to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. He says, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior who is Christ. Not a Christ, he is Christ. He is the ultimate Christ, Christ the Lord, that Greek word is kyrios. That's, that's the, the word that's used to describe that Caesar is Lord. He's the one who was ruling at the time in the Roman Empire. But this Christ is to be Lord because he's been anointed with the authority to rule. Just like the prophets and the priests and the kings of the Old Testament. And this is good news. The angels say, this, this is good news that someone is going to rule over you. I'm afraid that in our culture today, that's, that's not really good news to have someone ruling over you. We live in a world that's kind of like obsessed with expressive individualism, and I just got to do me, and I, I can't conform to what other people say, and I just got to be true to myself. I got to follow my own heart and march to the beat of my own drummer and do my own thing. But loved ones, the truth is, it is good to have someone rule over you. It is possible to have a ruler, like in the history of Israel, do a bad job and let you down. It's possible to live in a society where even the people who you vote for don't do the job that you expected them to do and they can let you down. It's possible for your boss to let you down or your parents to let you down. It's po very possible for people who are in positions of authority to disappoint you. But the answer to our disappointment with authority figures is not to have no authority figure at all. It's just to make sure that you have the right authority figure. Because this idea of freedom to do whatever I want that is so ubiquitous in our world today, that freedom really just leads to another form of slavery. Because all, all we're doing now is rather than being enslaved to some ruler outside of us, we're outside of us, we're enslaved to the desires inside of us, which often uh, contradict one another and conflict one another and change over time. Think about what you want under the Christmas tree today compared to what you wanted under the Christmas tree 
20 years ago, or for some of you, 50 years ago, or for some of you, two years ago. It changes, doesn't it? What, what we wanted when we were four years old is very different from when we're eight or nine. And what we wanted when we were eight or nine is super different from when we're 18 or 19. And what we want when we're 18 and 19 is so different from when we're 50 or 60. But if our desires are to rule, our desires are always changing because we're always changing. Our desires are always conflicting with one another. Our desires don't always make sense. And so the answer to bad authority figures is not to replace all authority figures and just follow yourself. The answer is to make sure you find the right authority figure who is Christ the Lord. Now, the people in Joseph's day and in Mary's day, they wanted a Christ. They wanted someone to rule over them because they were so tired of having the Romans rule over them. Because after the glory days of David and Solomon and the temple and the prophets, things really did go downhill. And, and if the people wouldn't rule themselves properly, God showed them, here, see what it's like to be ruled by the Babylonian Empire. And you follow all of you, you get out your ancient history textbook and you look at all of these empires. They all ruled over Israel at different times. The Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, Alexander the Great bulldozed right through. And then, and then Julius Caesar and the Romans were in charge. And, and the Romans are still in charge in the days of Mary and Joseph. They wanted someone to rule over them, but really all they wanted was just to be done with the Romans. So if you're going to understand Christmas, you've got to understand the names of Jesus. And it starts with the name Christ, that he's come to be a ruler. And are you willing to follow his authority? The second name uh, uh, appears a few verses down. Look with me at, at verse 18 again. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people, not from the Romans, which is what they were expecting. He will save his people from their sins. If you're taking notes today, jot this down. His name is Jesus, which means God saves, because he came to rescue he came to rescue. The people in Mary and Joseph's day, they were expecting a rescue from the Romans. You see, it's human nature to always think it's someone else's fault. You're trying to merge from the right lane over into the left as the lane is coming to an end, and it's, it's always their fault. Why won't they just let you in? You're signaling and you're trying to, it's always their fault. But when you're in the other lane and someone's trying to merge in front of you, it's like, forget you, it's your fault. You should emerge sooner. You get in behind me, not in front. It's always someone else's fault. You smell stinky feet at Christmas time. Everyone's got their shoes off. You always assume it's the person beside you. It's you. <laughs> we always assume it's someone else. And the people of Israel thought, if we could just, if we could just get the Roman feet off of our necks, then we would finally be free. Then we would thrive. 
But that's not the answer. The answer to our problems is not something external, it's something internal. We're so good as a culture of blaming other people. It's my parents' fault, it's the government's fault, it's society's fault, it's peer pressure's fault, it's this. What did Adam do when he got held to account? Well, the woman gave me the fruit, and then the woman's like, but the serpent get. We're always trying to blame other people. Jesus didn't just come to rescue us from some sort of exterior oppressor. No, he came to rescue us from those sinful desires inside of us. He came to rescue us from our sin. We always assume that we're the good people and that the others around us, they're the bad people and God needs to somehow judge them. But what about the evil inside of us? How are we so confident that we are a good people? Uh, how good do you have to be to be good and how bad do you have to be to be bad? We all want God to punish and stop the bad people, but do, do you want him to stop and punish you for the bad things you do? Where do you draw the line? Jesus came to rescue people from their sin. I love what he said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Some people think about coming to church or having a relationship with God is like going to a job interview where you're all dressed up and you're staying off your phone so that you don't slouch your shoulders and you're trying to look like you have it all together and you're anticipating all of the questions and you're trying to perform at your best. Jesus said, I didn't come for those people. I didn't come to interview you for a job. He says, I, I, I came for people who are sick. When we go to the ER, you don't do your hair. When, when you go to the ER, right, you're, you're wearing sweatpants and a hoodie. You've got a box of Kleenex with you. You're dragging your feet. Everyone's slouched over no one's there to impress anyone because we, everyone knows this is why we didn't, no one of us chose to be here, but we need to be here because we're sick. And when we sit down with the nurse at triage and she's like, okay, health card number and all of that and put the thing on your finger and she's like, so what's wrong? And they're like, oh no, everything's fine. I'm doing really good. I, <coughs> I, feel, wonderful. I feel wonderful. That's not what we do. We know why we're there. Jesus said, he hasn't come for the healthy. He's come for the sick. It's for the people who know that they're sinners. That's the reason why Jesus came. He's called Jesus, which means God saves. Jesus is just the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. Jesus, on the baby name lists, historians have actually looked at this, you know, baby name lists, you think about having a baby, you try to see what name is popular and all of that sort of thing. Jesus would have been number six on the baby name list at the time when he was born. It was a very common name. Joshua, the great military leader, the walls of Jericho coming down, defeating all of these nations. That's what we need, someone to put the Romans down. Jesus. But he didn't come to fight a military battle. He came to fight a spiritual battle, to open our eyes, to see our own sin so that we would confess and repent and receive the gift of eternal life. 
And that little baby born named Jesus would grow up and he would live a perfect life and he would heal the sick and he would feed the hungry and he would rebuke the hypocrites and he would teach like no one ever taught before. And then he, he fulfilled his mission by going to the cross. And the night before, he took some matzah bread and he took some, some wine and he said, this is my body. And then he took the cup and this is what he said. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed his blood. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. The only way to be saved from our sins is to be forgiven. You see, we're all sinners. We may not be in the emergency room. We may not know that we have this sickness called sin, but we all have it. And the only way to be forgiven is through death. Either our death or Jesus' death. The payment must be paid. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. What we get and what we deserve for our sin is death. That's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. Jesus came to die so that we could be forgiven. Jesus came on this rescue mission to bring forgiveness. Remember when the, the, there's this story in the Bible, you remember when you were a kid where this paralyzed guy gets let down through the roof, remember that story? And then Jesus says something shocking. Before he tells him to get up and walk, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You see, here's the thing about forgiveness. You can't forgive on someone else's behalf. If I get my hands on Meshach's credit card and he's got a tap, and if I go down to Walmart and just start tapping until it stops, right? And let's say I, I rack up $700 on Meshach's card by going to Walmart and Winners and Superstore. And, and then if, if Gavin finds out about it and he goes to me, Ted, listen, I know you took all that money from Meshach, but it's okay. You're forgiven. You don't have to pay. Meshach would be like, what are you talking about? He owes me $700. You can't forgive on my behalf. You can't say the debt is paid. It hasn't been paid. Who are you to try to come in and resolve? This is between Meshach and Ted. Stay out of this, Gavin. Meshach would be a lot nicer about it, but that's how it would go. It's absurd, right? So when this guy gets let down from the roof and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, what does everyone in the room do? They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? What's this guy doing offering forgiveness? Because here's the thing about sin. When we sin, when we break God's law, Yes, we harm ourselves because it's ultimately not good for us and these bad choices end up having consequences. Yes, we hurt other people around us and yes, it affects society as well. But ultimately when we sin, like David said in Psalm 51, when we sin, first and foremost, we sin against God. 
We've rejected his love and rebelled against his law. And so no one can forgive sins but God. But if Jesus has come on a rescue mission to forgive us for sins, to save us from our sins, how does he have the authority to forgive? He has the authority to forgive because he is God. And that leads us to the third name. And the third name is this. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, because he came to reconcile. Because he came to reconcile. Look back with me at verse 18. It says that this child had come from the Holy Spirit. It's repeated again in verse 20. The child that is in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of a virgin. He had a human mother. Her name was Mary. He had a, a heavenly father who is God. He is fully God and fully human. God became a human being. Look at the text with me. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew here quotes from one of the prophets, quotes from one of the messiahs, one of the Christs, one of the people who had oil on them, one of the anointed ones, one whose name was Isaiah. And Isaiah was trying to help another anointed one, another Christ, another Messiah. He happened to be a king. So you have a prophet talking to a king. The prophet's name was Isaiah. The king's name was Ahaz. And here's the, uh, here's the broader context. Ahaz is under a lot of pressure. He's the king of Judah. The, the nation had had a civil war, so to speak, and they had divided from one another the ten tribes to the north, the tw two tribes to the south. Ahaz is the king of the smaller group. Not only is the northern part bigger, but the king of the northern uh, tribes, Pekah, has formed an alliance with another nation, the Syrians, and, and their king named Rezin. And Pekah and Rezin are trying to pressure Ahaz into joining this alliance. Ahaz doesn't want to join the alliance. So the northern tribes in Syria say, well, fine, we're going to keep our alliance and we're going to attack you. If you won't join us, we're going to invade you. So Isaiah tries to comfort him. And he's telling him, listen, God is with you. Ask him for a sign. And Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It goes on to say, before the boy, Emmanuel, knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Sometimes Christians only read that one verse about thinking that, how does that help Ahaz at the time? He's all stressed. He has these invading armies. And Isaiah comes along and says, don't worry, like 700 years from now, Jesus is coming. That's not very helpful for Ahaz. He tells him, listen, he just maps out a timeline. Picture nine months from now, a baby's going to be born. The virgin will conceive. And Ahaz's mind, how would a virgin conceive? She would cease to be a virgin. 
she would conceive. So someone who's never been intimate with a man will be intimate with a man. She will conceive. And then nine months, she'll give birth. And then before he knows how to refuse evil and choose good, before he becomes a son of the commandment, before his bar mitzvah, 12 or 13 years from now, Ahaz, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The land of the northern tribes of Israel and the land of Syria. What you're so upset about, in less than 12 years, this is not going to be a problem. That's what it meant for Ahaz. So then why on earth does Matthew quote this story here? See, here, here's the thing about God, and you, you can see it all around us in creation. God loves cycles, repetition, circles, and patterns, right? We're coming to the end of 2022, which is really just what? A circle, a cycle around the sun. We're coming to the end of this day, which is just the earth rotating as it's, God loves cycles and he loves day after day, year after year. You put a log, a Yule log on the fire. You look at that log, you see all of these lines, you see these circles, you see this, this pattern. You think about how your ear right now can hear what's coming out of my voice because of waves and vibrations. It's a, it's a pattern. God, all of creation is these patterns. And, and just, like the, just like the vibrations in my voice and just like, just like as the years add to years and as the circles on a tree add, things get bigger and bigger. And that's how God works. This isn't God's first rodeo. He's been helping people since Adam and Eve. He's been Emmanuel time and time again. He's been with his people at moments of crisis. And yes, for Ahaz, he was with his people. And 12 years later, everything was fixed. Except Ahaz made some even worse decisions. And it got even worse for him. Because he didn't believe. But God was with his people. And you follow the Old Testament. God was with his people. He was with his people. And eventually, the, the cycle reaches its ultimate climax. That yeah, for Ahaz, a virgin conceived in the regular way and had a child. But now, after all of these cycles of God, now ultimately, a, a true virgin will remain a virgin and will conceive and bear a child. And this child won't just be a symbol of God being with us. The child actually will be God with us. That's what, that's what Matthew was recognizing here. Is that this pattern of God always coming through for his people and being with his people is, is now arriving at its climax in a way that's more real and more profound and more powerful than ever before. That the God who created everything, the infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and transcendent creator has come to be with us. This is paradigm-shifting, universe-altering, mind-blowing, life-transforming, history-changing, boundary-breaking. That the one who has no beginning has decided to be born. That the one who dwells in unapproachable light has come to dwell with us. In the darkness. He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. You, you, you can't get Christmas until you understand Christ. 
that he's the anointed one, the ultimate ruler. And until you get that he's Jesus, that he's come to rescue us and save us, and until you get that he's Emmanuel, that he's God with us, when it comes to important relationship things, it's always better to do it in person. Aren't you glad that you're gonna have Christmas in person this year? Like a Zoom call or Google Meet is just not good enough. At, at times of celebration, at important relational moments, at seasons and festivals, it's good, it's best to do it in person. 20 years ago in Camp Minioe and on a cold November night when I asked Lindsay to marry me, I did it in person. I didn't write her a letter. Email was just getting started back then. I did it in person. It was the right, and then we called a whole bunch of people like eight or nine months later, we got a whole bunch of people together in person. Some of you had your weddings over Zoom and I feel bad for you. It's better to do things in person. It's better to have Christmas in person. It's better to get engaged and to get married in person. It's better to be with the people that you love in person. And when things go wrong with the people that you love, when Lindsay and I fight, and yes, it does happen. I don't get some sort of pastor pass for conflict in my home. When I hurt Lindsay or when Lindsay hurts me, and trust me, it's way more the former than the latter, when we need to come to a resolution, when we need to be reconciled, we don't send a text to each other. I don't send her an email. I don't even just try to give her a phone. We sort it out in person. When you love someone and there's something between you, or when you love someone and there's an exciting moment in your relationship, you want to have that in person. God loves us and our sin has gotten between us and we need to have a reconciling time. And God didn't just send a letter. He didn't just send a prophet. He didn't just send the angels. He came in person. He came because our sin is serious. And our sin separates us from him. And our sin leads to death. And because of that, he came in person. He came in person because our sin is serious. He came in person because his love is real. He, just like I wanted to be with Lindsay for the rest of my life, so I proposed to her in person. God wants to spend eternity with you. And so he came to dwell with us in person. He came to make things right in person. He is God with us. Will you respond to him? Will you respond to his invitation to be with him because he has come to be with you? Will, will you respond to what he has done in order to bring about reconciliation, to restore the relationship that's been broken between you and God? by admitting that you're a sinner and committing to following him. 
I want to give us an opportunity to respond in song. I'll invite the worship team and the choir uh, to come back out here. I just want you to reflect on these truths as we think about God coming to be with us. Here is what Emmanuel means. Here's what Christ means. Here's what Jesus means. Here's what Christmas means. It's this, that Jesus was born physically so that you and I could be born spiritually. Jesus was born to an earthly mother so that we could have a heavenly father. Jesus was placed in a manger so that we could have a place in his house in heaven. Jesus was born economically poor so that we could be spiritually rich. Jesus entered into history so that we would be able to enter eternity. And Jesus came to be with us so that we could be with him. And Jesus not only came in person, he came to die. Jesus came to die for our sins so that we could have eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that although our sin was so serious, your love was so great. Thank you that you as creator sent your son as God in the flesh to live among us and to die for us. Oh Lord, we thank you for this season. We thank you for this holiday. We thank you for this moment where we can stop and be together with family, where we can give gifts to one another, where we can reflect on the greatest gift that has ever been given. God with us, Emmanuel. And God, right now we celebrate your first advent, your first coming when you came as a child. And Lord, we look forward and we expect your second advent, your second coming, when you come not hidden in a stable laid in a manger, but when you come and light up the sky, Lord, so that we would be with you forever. God, we love you and thank you. Come, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have come once. We long for your second coming, and we pray that we would be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.